Today on episode 447 of the I Am Salt Lake podcast, we are joined by local Salt Lake City author Jason Stevenson. We got to talk about what brought him to Utah, how he wrote the book, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Backpacking and Hiking. You guys, he literally wrote the book on hiking. So he gave us hiking tips, and we even found that he is a World War II ship history buff, which was like mind-blowing because that made me very excited. Yeah, you guys nerded out a little too much for me. Oh, I I could have done more. It was so cool. Hey, before we get into that conversation with Jason, we should probably introduce ourselves. My name is Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. Maybe this is your first time here, first time listening to this podcast, and you're wondering, what is this podcast all about? What's the theme of this show? Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people here in Salt Lake City. We're talking to business owners, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, food truck owners. I think you guys see the pattern here. We're talking to anybody with a cool story to share. So are you ready for the week ahead, Chrissy? School is starting. I'm I'm excited and terrified at the same time, and I bet all parents kind of feel that way. It's kind of like real life is starting, but yet real life is not happening at the same time because of everything with the pandemic, right? So you're like, like, school's supposed to start, but there's a pandemic going on. I I know. It's It's been weird. I'm sure everybody who is listening probably agrees with us. It's been a little weird. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of ready for it. It'll be really interesting to see how this school year plays out. Yeah, and we'll yeah, see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. And we know you guys know it's crazy out there, so we try the best we can to support local companies, especially right now. And lucky for you guys, we have a list of awesome local businesses at supportsaltlake.com. These are businesses who support this podcast, and we really do have some great supporters, including Elevation Chiropractic, Evolve Cabinetry for your cabinetry needs, Anchor Water Damage and Restoration, and more. The entire list of supporters is at supportsaltlake.com. All right, here's that conversation that we had with local author Jason Stevenson. Hopefully you're ready because this is a good one. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. I like to start right at the beginning, Jason, to even give our audience a bit of a picture to find out where you're from. Like, did you grow up here in Utah? Are you a transplant? What's your relationship with Utah? Yeah, I am a transplant. My family, we moved here back in 2011, actually driving cross country with a six-month-old baby and a dog in the back seat, visiting friends along the way, um, and arrived here on Halloween. And luckily, we had a, a costume for our little guy. So uh, greeting trick-or-treaters on our first day uh, in, our, in our house here in, uh, in the Ninth and Ninth neighborhood. Um, but I grew up in uh, Northeast Ohio, outside of Akron, Ohio. My wife and I actually both come from towns right around Akron um, and went to rival high schools, but never met until we were both in Boston a couple of years later. Lived all around the country, mostly just boomeranging between the East Coast and the Mountain West, Boulder, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Boston. And eventually, you know, we ended up here and we've been here since 2011, my wife, Jackie. um, And now we have three children. And two dogs. So we've multiplied. Wow. So you've been here for about, what, nine years now here in in the Salt Lake City area. And you've traveled all around and you've lived in multiple places. But it sounds like Salt Lake City might be one of the longer places that you've lived. It's true. Yeah, we definitely we didn't know how long we were going to stay. And we came here for my wife's sort of postgraduate or post-residency, sort of a training after she did her family medicine residency learning how to do C-sections and uh, sort of higher level obstetric care for delivering babies. And that was just a one-year thing, um, but uh, we stuck around. And I think it really grew on us. We, we were choosing places with mountains. That was our deciding factor because we've been living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is Amish country down in Southeast Pennsylvania. Very flat, perfect for bike, bike riding. If you're a, a road biker, boy, it's great. As long as you don't get stuck behind a manure spreader, you're great. <laughs> Uh, but we, I lived in a mountainous area in Santa Fe and in Boulder, Colorado, and so I really wanted to get back to those mountains. And so we were looking at Asheville, North Carolina, and Denver, and Albuquerque, and Salt Lake. We just kept on running through all of the numbers and the, you know, the attributes and the assets of these different communities and what it'd be like. And Salt Lake came out on top, and so that's how we ended up here. You know, Salt Lake City, though, nine years ago, it was a different place. It was, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's grown a lot in the last nine years. I mean, it's, uh, so that's good. That's a good thing though. So 
I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad I asked that because I, yeah. I, I thought for some reason you were from Salt Lake. It's interesting. You mentioned Lancaster. Do you know where Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania is? I don't know if you've been. Uh-huh. I lived over there for about five, six years. So I lived out that way for a little bit. So we were kind of like neighbors maybe for a minute. I don't know. And I feel like I'm part of the club because for six months in kindergarten, I lived in Elizabethtown. <laughs> that counts, right? It does. <laughs> I went to the Hershey place. We all remember these places, right? You know, and yeah. they become a part of our our background, whether we spent a couple of months there or a long time, it's something we can share with other people. You know, that's kind of cool. My question, Jason, is what came first, your interest in writing or your interest in hiking? Definitely the hiking part. Really? Uh, You know, growing up in Ohio, boy, Utah's got a lot going for it. And I think that's maybe one reason why I appreciate what we have in this state. I didn't grow up here. This isn't sort of the usual backdrop. You know, so I did a lot of camping and, and uh, with my family and with Boy Scouts in Ohio. And then I lived in Boston. And so I was able to get up to the White Mountains of New Hampshire uh, just by carpooling with other hikers. Because um, I didn't have a car, and but luckily found some folks with the Appalachian Mountain Club. And we did a lot of hiking there. So that's where I really fell in love with the outdoors and with going on hikes and challenging myself, doing winter camping, snowshoeing, um, just trying a new thing every season, uh, trying to build my skills. And the writing came later, but I'm, I'm glad that the two have combined for sure. What do you love the most about hiking? Like, what is it? Like, is it one or is it one thing or is it multiple things that you love about hiking? You know, I think when you are away from noise and away from light pollution, I mean, those are the things that I think when you really get out there and you notice there's no highway in the background, there's no siren that's going off. There's no glow on the horizon from the city. Uh, You can actually see and hear to a degree that you just can't where we most of us live. That's when I think it really hits home. And, And that's what I'm always seeking. I'm seeking that solitude. I'm seeking that getting away from it all. And of course, nowadays with COVID, that's great. You know, to get away yeah. from it all is you know, doubly important. So I'm always looking for the, the, the out of the way, the hard to get to, the place that isn't on the map or in the guidebook, but um, is something that hopefully I can drag my family out to and will survive and get to enjoy that little bit of peace and quiet and wilderness that takes us back hundreds of years to what it used to all be like. I've I've I have a weird question, but I was just listening to another podcast today and they talked about this. Have you ever heard from new hikers if they go to kind of get away from everything, but then while they're out there, they still hear phantom noises? Like their brain fills in some of the like chaos noise that they're used to while they're in a quiet spot? It's it's funny that I've not heard of that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'd also um uh, having done a couple of hikes in places that especially solo hikes, that's when you start to hear things that probably aren't there. I once camped outside of an abandoned mine up in the mountains of New Mexico, and I could have sworn there was a bear that was living in there and was just kind of ambling out there to check out my tent in the middle of the night. I convinced myself that every sound I heard was just one more step of that bear coming closer. So our our brains do fantastic things when we're kind of cut off from our normal background and, and experience. You know, I have a couple of questions about hiking I want to ask. Of course, I want to get into your books, but let me ask why we're kind of talking about hiking and you've been out by yourself and you're talking about hiking with COVID and everything. I want to kind of stay on that little train for a second. Have you noticed people, more people out hiking like this year versus other years as a way for people to get out? Have you noticed more hikers out there? Definitely. Yeah. I I think we're, we're blessed in Utah that we have such amazing trailheads and mountains and places to go that it still doesn't seem crowded in most places, even with more and more people seeking solace in the outdoors. I I know that national parks and places on the East Coast are definitely getting oversubscribed. But yeah, people are out there. It's actually exciting to see folks, you know, talk on social media. Hey, I want to go backpacking for the first time. Can folks help me get some gear together or tell me where to go? Or I want to go up to a lake in the Uintas, which is the best spot? Um, and a lot of folks responding. And then you then you get the pictures a couple of days later and there they are up in the mountains, uh, you know, letting folks know that, hey, I had a good time. So I think we're lucky in Utah that we have so many different places to go to that you can still get away and not feel crowded. And it's exciting to see new people experience, you know, what we've got in our state. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, like if our trails here were, were getting crowded or 
if they yeah. were, you know, how, how they were doing. I don't know. Like or, how know. the hikers who are always there are feeling right now. Are they like, is it like the guys who work out at the gym and then New Year's comes and they're like, damn it, everybody. <laughs> you know, I've got a bias there because I'm, I'm trying to sell a book to get people to go hiking more. So oh, yeah. oh, yeah. There's lots of there space. But I, I have heard from folks who, you know, find their favorite fishing hole or their favorite trail, have more and more people on it than they're used to. Yeah. Um, but I took my boys up backpacking um, into the Uintas a couple weeks ago. And we still, you know, a couple miles into the trail found a, a campsite where we could only see one other tent, you know, probably half a mile away across a ravine. And it was actually comforting to actually see at least one other person up there. And it didn't feel crowded at all. A lot of people on the trail, but so many places to spread out. Very cool. A little bit of research on you, obviously, before uh, we did this podcast, Jason, it shows that you've written two books. Is that correct? Or have you written more than just the two books? It's these two books. Yeah. Uh, there's 10 years ago, I did a first edition of this, the book that's currently out now. Back then, it was called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Backpacking and Hiking, which actually probably confirmed many of my teacher's predictions that if ever I wrote a book, it would have the word complete idiot in the title. Um, but it was a part of that guidebook series, you know, how to how to do HTML, how to learn knitting. You know, it's kind of like getting people into new subjects and skills and hobbies. And about 10 years ago, I was freelance writing and, and they called me up and they said, hey, do you want to do this book project? And I was like, well, it sounds like a, a lot of work, but hey, you know, um, let's give it a shot. And so I spent the summer of 2009 writing the book. Um, didn't get outside a whole lot, just spent a lot of time inside writing, writing uh, thousands of words a week. Um, it came out in 2010 and it did pretty well. And so when the publisher was trying to update uh, these books, um, they picked my book to be the first one in this new series called Outdoor Adventure Guys. And they said, hey, can you do an update on it? And a lot has changed in 10 years from technology to, uh, you know, how to use your cell phone to gear that's available to even, you know, best practices and how to be safer on the trail with with other people. Um, so I put all that into this new version, probably updated about 50 percent of the content, um, read, read through every word, every chapter and uh, put out this new book, which provides a lot more information and updated information. And, and I guess what I like to say is I've gotten into a lot more trouble and learned a lot in those 10 years as well. Um, the subtitle of the book should be you know, stories about how I almost died in the wilderness. And here's how you won't uh, follow my example. So it sounds like to me, as long as you get the updated book, that's good enough. I mean, you don't need to get the older one either. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. The new book's called Outdoor Adventure Guides, Backpacking and Hiking. And it's, uh, you know, it's got some of the content from the older version, things that don't change, you know, like the 10 essentials that you should bring on every trip or how to, you know, what to do with them uh, if you find a mountain lion stalking you. There's been no new updates about that, but there is a lot that I did add, especially you know, how you use your cell phone. Cell phones now are things that you do want to bring on the trail. Back when I wrote that book 10 years ago, I advised people to actually leave them behind because there's just extra weight and you know, bring a camera um, that uh, is more waterproof and things like that, I advise. But now the cell phone is a great tool because it can really act as a GPS, a communicator. Um, it can even be an emergency flashlight. So it's a good tool for folks to have. How is the reception though for most cell phones? I've always thought like if you went out in the yeah. back mountain, you couldn't get any, I mean, I guess it's almost 5G would, now, right? 4G. Would, would a compass work if you're not connected? I have like, yeah, you know, I'm just it, curious, the compass in oh, your phone. On the phone. It, yeah, if your phone. And, and that's the, the crazy thing about cell phones is that they can act as a, a direction finder, as a GPS, even when you have no cell service. And that's because they actually have a GPS inside of them that can communicate with satellites up in space. So you can download some free apps, which I talk about in my book, All Trails and, and Geo GPS, and uh, upload maps uh, ahead of time of where you're going to be hiking. And then when you're on the trail, even if you've got no cell service, your cell phone is talking to satellites and can pinpoint exactly where you are, put down digital breadcrumbs about where you've been hiking, and even allow you to follow routes that you've preloaded into your phone. Um, all you got to do is worry that you don't run out of battery, but now we've got solar panels to help with that. So it's uh, it's a whole new revolution for folks on the trail. Not to mention, you, a lot of these phones have fantastic cameras for capturing everything from wildlife to the night sky to campfire. So it's a, it's a great tool. Hey, are you thinking of moving to Salt Lake City? Is your job bringing you to Salt Lake City? Are you looking at maybe just finally getting out of the rent game and finally buying a house of your own? 
Well, you need to contact our good friend Monique at Market Source Real Estate. The cool thing is, is she actually helped us find the home that we're recording this podcast in right now. And I am so grateful for her because buying a home using Market Source Real Estate was probably one of the best things that I feel we've ever done. You know, we they found us a great home. We have our studio. It's been so fantastic. I cannot recommend them enough. The whole process was easy. It was so easy. It was just so wonderful. They were on top of it. We actually were really lucky to get the house that we got because they are so on the ball. And they've been on the ball for over 20 years. Marcosource Real Estate has a background in flipping houses and they've owned almost 20 homes themselves. So they know the ins and outs of older homes if older homes are your thing. And if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate is amazing at that because I know for a fact when I scroll through my feed and I see that the homes that they're selling, I want to buy all of them. Beautiful. They're so gorgeous. I know. I mean, they really know how to help sellers improve the property and stage it so you can make more money. All right. So like I said, if you're looking to move to Salt Lake City, I know there's a lot of jobs that are bringing people here, or maybe you're just looking to move across town, right? Hey, if you're looking to get a new home, looking to sell your home, call Monique at Market Source Real Estate. Her phone number is 801-810-6773. Again, the phone number 801-810-6773. Or just find her info at thinksaltlakecity.com. That's her website. Again, that's thinksaltlakecity.com. And many thanks to Monique over at Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You always hear these stories of hikers that get lost or, you know, you can't find them for multiple days. They, they, they get lost from the, their, the rest of their group or something happens to them. Is there something that you notice is like a trend with what they do wrong? Like, is there something that maybe as a listener, like say we go hiking with friends, so we don't, that doesn't happen to us. Like, what are some things for somebody like myself who doesn't go out a lot? We might not know certain things to look for or stuff to bring to prevent getting lost or getting disoriented or something. Yeah, because I, yeah, yeah. I have a random question later about that too. That's a great question. And it actually can be a, a big fear to keep people at home and not going out. You know, they, they read these stories and they're like, I don't want to be like that guy, you yeah. know? Um, and I spent a lot of time thinking about that because when I worked at Backpacker Magazine, I actually edited the survival columns and stories. And so my job was actually call up people who had survived really terrible ordeals in the woods, you know, lost for four or five days, broken legs, you know, shattered uh, arms, um, you know, on death's door before they were rescued. And I would call them up and spend three or four hours on the phone with them, asking them to relive probably the worst moment of their lives with this idea of trying to learn how it happened, what we could learn, what we could put in the magazine to help people learn from, from, from these experiences. Uh, and it was, it was really hard, but it was also fascinating and, and probably some of the, the most interesting writing that I've ever done. And what I learned from those stories was, you know, there's certain random things that you just can't predict, you know, lightning strikes and thunderstorms and flash floods. You know, those things can just happen. Slipping down a, a steep embankment and shattering your leg will, will definitely, you know, change your experience. But there's decisions that can go into that. Uh, and, and the two biggest, I would say is first of all, leaving the trail, trying to take a cross-country shortcut, um, seeing where you're supposed to be going, be like, oh, I can get there a lot faster if I just go down this ravine and up the other side, and all of a sudden, you know, I've got more hours or, or something else. That's when people generally get into trouble, um, when, you, when you leave the trail. So leaving the trail is something you should never do. And the second thing that I've discovered is not listening to that voice inside your head that usually is more perceptive than the rest of you about, hey, this doesn't look right. Shouldn't the sun be over there if I'm hiking back to my car? I don't remember this trail being as steep, or these trees don't look quite the same way they used to. And when you're hiking in a group, it can actually be really important to voice those concerns because other people could be having them as well. And all of a sudden you say, hey, I don't think we're on the right trail. Someone else could be like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been thinking that too. And then you stop, you figure out where you are, you figure out if you made a wrong term, and you can correct yourself. But if you keep that voice to yourself, or you just convince yourself that it's nothing big and you just keep on going and plowing forward, that's when you get into a lot of trouble. So those are the two things I definitely have seen repeated over and over in the stories that I've seen. Interesting. I've just always wondered that. You know, yeah, it was, a, it was a perfect opportunity to ask you that um, right in there. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about hiking, but let's, let's talk about a little bit more about this book that you wrote. Uh, virtually two books. Now it's, I mean, it's more of an updated book. 
when you first were asked to write it, I mean, did you have any doubts that you could even write a book? The fact that you've never written a book? I mean, like, I know if I was asked to write a book, I'd be like, oh, I can't write a book. I I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know know if you had any doubt about writing it. I certainly did. Yeah, it definitely felt like this is a big project. I've never written anything this big before. And and a lot of the writing I'd done is more like 300, 400, 500 word articles. That's kind of what my specialty is, you know, really drilling it down to something that you can read uh, just in one sitting real quick. So it was a it was a big challenge. And when I talked to some of my colleagues and friends who had written books, they said, OK, don't think about it as just a big book. Think about it as chapters. Think about it as just a bunch of components that you're going to stick together into a book. And and that's what I did. I ended up doing an outline and I think I put 25 or 24 chapters in there. And and they said, start with the easiest topic. Start, you know, don't start with chapter one. Start with the topic that you're most familiar with. So for me, I think I started with the first day chapter, chapter five. And they said, just write that, see how it goes. And then, you know, kind of cherry pick, move around, pick the topics to kind of flow with each other and, and, and do it that way. And it'll become a lot easier and just think, OK, I'm not writing one, you know, 100,000 word, 130,000 word book. I'm just writing a whole bunch of four or 5,000 word chapters, which still felt like a lot, but it was a lot better than trying to, to put together a giant tome. Um, and that worked. Uh, the funny thing about that first day chapter is the first one I wrote, I wrote 25,000 words for that chapter when it was only supposed to be five. So then I had to cut the darn thing down quite a bit. So it kind of helped me understand how to be concise, how to get it down. And it was with a subject matter I was familiar with. So it was it's a little easier to learn with that experience. Yeah, because it's easy to nerd out when you're working on something that you're passionate about and just get it all out there. That makes sense. Do you have any like uh, do you have any like any advice for somebody who might be writing a book like obviously not necessarily only a hiking book or or something about like an idiot's guy per se but just just writing a book in general Yeah talk to other folks who have done it that was a really good advice point I got and so I had a couple of friends who had written mostly nonfiction books um, that uh, had sometimes come from magazine articles that they wrote or stories they'd come across some were travel books um, as well uh, which are always, you know, great things to read based on personal experience. And so I asked them, you know, how do you do it? Uh, some of it's logistical, like, how do I need an agent? How do I negotiate in advance? What's a good number? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty a neophyte at that. I, I definitely, you know, didn't bark on hard. It was like, hey, you want me to write a book? Great, I'll write a book. You know, uh, just show me the contract. Um, there, You can get into a lot more detail on that. But if you're if you just want to write a book and you want to do it, then I think talking to folks who have been through big projects like that before um, and maybe, you know, someone who's also still writing a book, someone who's in the process is good. And then breaking it into smaller points. You're, you're going to spend a lot of time on your computer. So uh, think about how to get some breaks in there. Um, you know, we're all spending a lot of time online and things like that today. And I think we're all getting better about, hey, whoa, I've been on a screen for like six hours today with Zoom meetings. I need to do something different. Um, so make sure you build that into your schedule as well. Set realistic deadlines um, and then realize that you're going to probably go over them. So develop a really good relationship with your editor so that they know that you're going to still deliver it, even if you're going to miss a couple deadlines and go over a bit. And the last thing I'd say is that just make sure that some of the details are pinned down. I didn't realize in writing my first book that I was responsible for the photos and illustrations in it, too. Um, and that came up probably about halfway through. And I was like, oh, wait, I got to do that. And, and so, you know, making sure you know all of those details and remember them as you're going through is, is, is a good thing. Know what your responsibilities are. And they're, so they're in charge of all the distribution and stuff. You haven't had to worry about any of the distribution of the book, right? Yeah, no, they, they help get it out to bookstores and libraries. Um, although authors are these days also their own publicity machines, you know, you, especially if you're uh, you know, don't have a big name and, you know, you don't uh, have an automatic audience uh, like this book, you know, I'm, I'm still searching for an audience for it. You, you know, you do pitches um, and most writers are familiar with that. A pitch is where you go to uh, like a reporter or an editor or someone, you say, hey, look, I've got this idea um, or this new book idea. Will you will you publicize it? Will you write an article in the newspaper about it? Or maybe I can write an article for you. And then could you mention, hey, I also wrote this book. So ways to get your name out there. It's uh, pretty common for most authors to be doing that, even for some of the big name ones. I mean, they're the ones going on the late night talk shows, right? They they do that to sell more books. Neil Gaiman, um, so Malcolm it, it, Gladwell. 
Well, Even those are Mountain not, Gladwell. Those yeah. aren't yeah. in your realm, but they're authors. <laughs> There's some of Chrissy's There's favorite. There's some of my favorite authors. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, do you have any other plans like to write future books? Any plans in the future to write more hiking books or books in general? It's a, it's a good question. I If I would have thought that I'd ever write a book, it would actually would have been about World War II battleships. So that's still an really? idea back in my mind. Um, the, the backpacking and hiking ones came to me and I was like, okay, great, I'll do that. But I had a chance to study in Scotland for a year and earn a, a graduate degree. And I focused on the Royal Navy the British Navy during World War II. It's been a lot of time in that topic. Found some amazing stories just doing my research. Uh, and always felt that if I were ever write a book, it would be about something that I had dug up in my research there. It's been about 20 years. I still haven't figured out what that is, but someday I hope to put something together on that. So maybe maybe that dream will, will eventually happen. Very cool. Very that would be so cool. Yeah, Chrissy's a history I, nerd. Yeah, I was just sitting here because I remember my grandpa telling me stories about when he was fighting in World War II. And I would love to like learn more. I mean, that's such that would that doesn't exist, does it? I've I don't never know. heard any stories know. about it. I love I it. Never looked. Sorry, I'm feeling very excited about this. Never, <laughs> never looked. So back to your book. One more, another question about your book that just popped in my head, real quick, Jason. Is so it's called. I mean, well, the original title was the Idiot's Guide of it. So what if somebody's like an expert hiker? Would they find any value in your book? I tried to add in sections that would appeal to more experienced hikers, you know, things like night hiking okay. um, or uh, how to climb a mountain. Um, so, you know, people who might be really experienced at going out and doing camping and backpacking, but still want to take it to another level, they could still find some good advice and experience in this book. But it's not is not going to tell you how to climb Mount Everest. You know, that that was not my point. It was really focused on beginners and intermediate hikers and really finding your own Mount Everest is the way I put it. You know, your own Mount Everest might be going out and sleeping in a tent <laughs> in a sleeping bag. That might be a big jump for you. So this book tells you how to do that. You know, you, you might also want to do like a, a rafting trip, you know, or a canoe and um, hiking trip. And so this book will tell you how to do that. Uh, so just building new skills, um, whether you're new or intermediate and just helping you plan some new trips and get outside. All right. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Salt Lake Barber Company. Hey, the Salt Lake Barber Company is located right downtown at 10 East, 800 South. They're offering haircuts, beard trims, straight razor shaves. They are a true community barbershop. I know a lot of you listening already know that Isaac over there cuts my hair, trims my beards. He does a top-notch job. All the barbers over there do a great job. Their website, saltlakebarberco.com, that's where you can go and schedule and get yourself a guaranteed appointment. They do take walk-ins if they're available. I know every time I'm there, though, and somebody walks in, they're not available, so... Make sure to schedule that appointment at saltlakebarberco.com. Again, they're offering haircuts, beard trims, straight razor shaves. They also have products over there if you need any beard oil, beard washes, soaps, all that, all that good stuff to make you, make you feel clean. Their website, saltlakebarberco.com. Go check it out. Go schedule yourself a haircut today. And many thanks to the Salt Lake Barber Company for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get back into that conversation with Jason. Thanks for listening. You were mentioning uh, Mount Everest. Have you have you hiked Mount Everest before? No, never, never been to that part of the world. I've had a couple of friends who have spent some time at base camp and climbing around there. I've written some stories and even books about expeditions to Mount Everest. And I, I worked at Outside Magazine um, for a couple of years. And they were the, uh, the magazine where Into Thin Air, the John Krakauer book, um, first appeared as a, a huge magazine article back in, I think, oh, 1996 wow. or so um, about the Mount Everest disaster, the famous disaster that happened there. So I when I was at Outside, it, you know, it's part of the lore of that magazine is, you know, how that story came to be. And uh, I was actually there for the 10 year anniversary of that story. So I helped prepare some of the content, the feature stories that we ran in the magazine on the 10 year anniversary of the of the, the disaster and then the book that came out. And it was interesting to to be there. It's something I've read on a lot. Um, I'm fascinated with not only the what goes on today, but even the explorations in the 1920s with uh, George Mallory and some of the earlier explorers who were just trying to climb it and, and many lost their lives. So it's, uh, it's a great touch point for wanting to, to push yourself 
I, I think my my wife would never let me ever try that though, because she probably knows too much about it too, and just how uh, how scary it can be when you're up there um, above twenty, thirty, you know, twenty five thousand feet. So. I swear there's a guy in Salt Lake and I need to look him up, but he recently tried to climb Mount Everest. I don't know if he was successful, but I think he lost his nose. Lost his nose? Yeah. he. I'm. He's a friend of a friend. And uh, yeah. Is Mount Everest... Okay, I have the weirdest questions. Is Mount Everest also the place where one of the landmarks is a frozen body in a green jacket? Yeah, green jacket man. There's yellow... <laughs> yeah, green jacket I'm not man. totally yeah. full of crap. No, wait, there's a, there's a frozen body that people see? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one out of 10 climbers dies on the mountain. So it's 10% right there. Oh, so I just have uh, no desire to like zero. No, thank you. Do you have any bucket list hikes that you're like telling your wife, like, I have to do these? You know, right now we're in the family camping stage. I've got uh, three kids under the age of 10. So if I were to do some serious backpacking, I would be... Uh, I'd be solo, I think. My wife and yeah. I have gone a couple of trips when we've got uh, some good babysitters that are willing to be with our kids for a couple of days, mostly up in the Uintas. But one place I'd really like to go to with my family is Cathedral Valley at the northern tip of Capitol Reef National Park. Um, it's this rock formation that looks like one of those old Gothic cathedrals in the Middle Ages. And it's hard to get to. You know, you got to know your dirt road navigation and, and go at the right time of year. Um, but I've uh, seen some photos from some, uh, you know, folks I know in the area. And that's on my bucket list to, to get there. It's Cathedral Valley and, and Capitol Reef. And then just more explorations in the Uintas. Uh, there's just so much up uh, above Camas and Evanston area that, uh, that you can get to. And especially when it's 100 degrees in Salt Lake, um, it's uh, it's much better at eight or 9,000 feet. Uh, really oh, yeah. comfortable. So Good picnic weather. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> What's the best way for listeners to find out about like trails and hikes that are available in Utah? Like, I think you might've even mentioned an app earlier. Yeah. I actually spent a lot of time in my book talking about that because that is one of the big hurdles, especially for people new to this. I mean, one good way, which is easy and we're all pretty used to it, is just going on social media and saying, Hey, look, what are good hikes or places that you've camped? You'll get some good advice. You know, you kind of want to weigh it with the person that's giving it to you. You know, if you have, you know, some ultra marathoner telling you, oh, yeah, it's an easy hike. Don't worry. You might want to check those details um, before <laughs> you go out yourself. But that is, a, that is a simple and easy way to get uh, good information, especially close to home. Um, if you want more of a wider spread, then there are some good apps. There's All Trails and then Gaia GPS, G-A-I-A GPS. Those are two very simple free apps you can download that will help connect you to trails all around. They're easy to use. They didn't exist 10 years ago. This stuff was not around when I wrote the first book. And when I went to update it and I was starting to check into it, I was just amazed about how helpful and easy um, your smartphone can be. You can actually even go on a desktop computer, get all the information there, and then send it to your smartphone. And so it's there with you when you're hiking. Um, So you, you don't have to actually look for it on a small screen. You can do it on a bigger screen or on a tablet. So it, th- that makes it a lot easier. And, and I always you know, council folks, when they're, when they're looking for a hike, you know, three things to keep in mind are uh, the distance, of course, you know, what, uh, what the mileage is, um, the elevation, um, because if you're going up two or 3000 feet on a hike, then all of a sudden you're going to be expending a lot more energy and calories. So find out what the elevation profile is for the hike and then access to water and shade. Um, Those are other factors that can really influence whether you're going to have a good day or a bad day. Um, so those are, that, that's something I put in the book as well. Uh, even have a little chart that says, Hey, if, uh, you're an intermediate hiker, you know, if you were going to hike five miles and there's 2000 feet of elevation gain, it's going to take you eight hours to do. So it kind of gives you a ballpark of, uh, how much time you might be spending on the trail. sounds like I need to get this book. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Cause eventually the kids are going to make us do it. You know, <laughs> we're not, neither one of us are big hikers. We keep telling ourselves we're, we, oh, I we, think we would love it if we didn't have such bad allergies Yeah, and I yeah. have asthma. So I get up there and I'm just dying and you know, I'm sure we would love it if we were healthy people. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's switch directions to Salt Lake city. We have a few Salt Lake city related questions that we ask on every show, Jason, you know, we all have family and friends. They come visit us. They, they're like, ah, oh, we're going to be in Salt Lake City this weekend. Show us around. Give us a tour. 
Where do you take them? Do you have like a, is it, I mean, maybe even a hike or, or camping or is downtown or some people say the temple. I don't know if you have one or two favorite places you like to take people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we wish we had visitors these days. That's for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> we miss showing our friends and family around, but, uh, we live near the ninth and ninth neighborhood of Salt Lake City. So one thing we like to do is just have folks walk down with us to go to a restaurant, um, get some gelato, uh, just hang out by Liberty Park in that area. So really just, you know, showing folks how livable and walkable Salt Lake City can be. There's not many cities that you can live downtown and, and uh, you know, in a, you know, kind of like a neighborhood and still be able to walk to all these different things or even jump on your bike and go do that. So Definitely Ninth and Ninth neighborhood is a big spot for us. If we want to take them up to the mountains, I would say Silver Lake and Brighton is one of the big spots we like to go to, the boardwalk that goes around that lake there, um, especially in the, uh, in the summer when it's not under 12 feet of snow. That's a nice accessible hike for most folks, especially grandparents. They really enjoy seeing the, the birds and you know, every once in a while we'll see a moose or a porcupine or something like that, which can be big, exciting stuff for folks from Ohio, which is where our family's from. So that, that's a big one. And then if we've got more time, um, then, you know, a road trip down to Moab or Zion uh, are definitely in order. We've, we've met a lot of friends who've come out from the East Coast and done some tandem camping trips in both those areas, uh, getting a good campsite and even doing some dispersed camping, some, some wilderness camping where you got to bring your own water and dig your own toilet. We've done a couple of uh, nice meetups with folks uh, down in the San Rafael Swell uh, area, which is uh, another beautiful spot of our state. You were mentioning gelato uh, there in Ninth and Ninth. Any other favorite local eating spots? I always ask that, like from people, like do you have like one or two favorite spots that you like to go to? Yeah, we uh, really enjoy the um, kind of Nepalese Indian restaurant Kathmandu. That's, okay, yeah, uh, Himalayan yeah. Kitchen. I'm sorry, Himalayan Kitchen, um, which is downtown. You know, right on State Street near the City Hall. Yeah, That's yeah. a place that. Uh, we always bring friends and family to just enjoy the, the, the great food. And uh, it's funny, there's actually a couple of pictures of Mount Everest on the wall there as well, to bring it back to an earlier conversation point with uh, Mount Everest being uh, right on the border of Nepal. So um, that's a good one. I think we enjoy the flatbread pizza at um, the, uh, the pizza place down in uh, Sugar House. Our kids love the make your own pizza there. Um, really an exciting opportunity for them to get the same thing every time, even though they could add whatever they want. You know, how kids are, they, uh, they enjoy the choice, but stick with their, their routines. Um, and then uh, the gelato at, uh, at ninth and ninth, um, we like Dolcetto gelato. That's uh, uh, you know, a nice spot. Great for bribing kids. You know, if you want them to do something, it's uh, a, a very convenient stop on the way to or from something that we have to drag them to. Good parenting tips. <laughs> that's going to be his next book he writes hey. is there anything that you would change about salt lake city if you could i know that's kind of a big question especially right now with covid uh but obviously pre-covid is there anything that you would change about the city ah, that's a that's a great question um i spent a lot of time thinking about the city i'm involved with our local community council here uh around liberty park so we deal a lot with transportation and uh, biking and zoning and planning and, and kind of all those boring things to make a city run or not run. And I think one thing that I would say is that I'm afraid that Salt Lake City is becoming a place where it's really hard to find an affordable rental. Um, we were fortunate when we moved in, we rented for a couple of years um, when we first arrived and, and found a spot in the Ninth and Ninth neighborhood that I just don't see many of those, especially affordable rentals anymore in Salt Lake City. So I think doing something to make more of the housing that's coming in be just affordable, uh, uh, whether that is the city stepping in or the state stepping in, or just so that folks who are teachers and firefighters and police officers can live in our city. And, and I, I have a, people I know who are moving to Ogden or to um, Tooele, um just because that's the place that they can buy a home. And so uh, more more effort on affordable housing in city in the city and making it not just in certain neighborhoods, but spread out through all of the city. Yeah. Amen. Yep. <laughs> I agree. It's getting kind of scary, man. Like I'll it tell is. you, I, I remember uh, 20 years ago when I first moved to Salt Lake, gosh, I was finding like one bedroom apartments for like 350, you know, 350, 400 bucks for a one bedroom apartment downtown. 
like in nice places, you know, ninth and ninth apartments or right downtown on like 300 South. I mean, now you're lucky to find a place for fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, yeah, it's it's out of control, and I see it on social media. People just posting, "Hey, I'm looking for a, a one or two bedroom," um, uh, you know, in the East Liberty Park area. Anybody can help me, and 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 the pickings are very slim, and and they're disappearing too. They're being yeah. torn up and being replaced by by other houses for sale or more expensive Ugly new units. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, Ugly <laughs> new stuff. Gross. And you're lucky. You're lucky that you got a place over there at 9th and 9th, man, because they're uh, few and far between. And as soon as they go for sale, they get snatched up. Yeah, I was out of town when the, when our house went on the market. So my wife made the offer over the phone with me. So it was uh, basically a two-hour thing that she went, she FaceTimed the video of me, and we're like, let's do it. And so... And I think there were four bids in that time period. Yeah, so good for it, her. She knew it. She's like, I got to do this now. Yeah, that's how it you was, do it. It's pretty crazy. Well, first of all, it's been so much fun to have you on the podcast, Jason. I'm serious. Uh, you know, I didn't know. I was like, well, okay, we could talk about backpacking and hiking. This could be fun. But you know, you you got a really great story, and I'm so yeah. glad that uh, we got to kind of pick your brain a little bit. I know there's probably so much more that we could still find out about you, but that just means we'll have to bring you back through. You know, and. True and that. Bring you back once on I the show. The Battleship book, right? Yeah. <laughs> once you write that book. Oh uh, my gosh. Please, please write that book. Was there anything that you were hoping though that we would talk about uh, that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Like I like to try to open it up before we completely wrap it up. Uh, if there's anything you want to promote or talk about or bring up. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, one thing you asked earlier about, you know, how do you actually get to write a book? Um, and uh, if you want to write a book, how do you actually go about doing it? Where do you find the time? How do you manage that? And I think it's it's actually something that is more accessible. I mean, I'm not a full-time writer. I haven't been a full-time writer in years now. Um, I actually, I work for the ACLU of Utah, the American Civil Liberties Union, as my day job. Um, I do communications work for them. So you don't have to actually be a full-time writer to pull off writing a book. And I think that's, that's important for folks to know. If it's something you're passionate about, something you know about, you've got a good story, um, you can go and do it. And you don't need to actually have someone ready to buy it. I have a lot of friends that are working on books and workshopping them and going to conferences, sending chapters to friends, getting feedback. Um, you know, with, with no one actually out there right now going to publish it for them. Um, but they're still working on it. And eventually when they get to a point that they're like, hey, I've got some good chapters I can send off, they can pitch it to agents and pitch it to publishers and get that process going. So you don't have to drop everything and say, I'm going to be a writer. Um, you can just have a passion or an interest or um, an expertise and say, hey, look, I'm going to turn that into, into a book and just start on it and carve out whether you're a morning person doing it, you know, right when you wake up, you're an evening person doing it uh, uh, then, or even if you're one of those folks, you can watch TV and write at the same time. Hey, God bless you. Go ahead and do that as well. Um, just devote that time every day and give yourself those deadlines and you can do it. Very cool advice. Right I like that. I like yeah. that. I always thought I could write a book. So maybe I need to actually. It's just taking the baby it. steps. Yeah. It's breaking it down to know where to start. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah I like that. I would be uh, interest in the completed idiots guide to podcasting. So, <laughs> Aww, eh? yeah, well, you know, didn't actually nudge. actually that opens up a question that I should have asked in the beginning. So, you might have mentioned this. Did you pitch that to somebody, or how did you get in with the idiot, the like the idiots guide? Because they're like a set. Is it the same person that writes all of them, or not writes all of them, but obviously not writes, the but publishes, publishes them. them? Yeah. Yeah, they they are um, they're always looking for kind of folks out there to write their stories for them. So they they have acquisition editors that are on the lookout. So I had just left Backpacker Magazine, uh, where I was an editor, and I was freelancing at the time, just writing articles for Backpacker and a bunch of other magazines. And this acquisitions editor at the publisher called up Backpacker and said, "Hey, we're looking for someone to write a book all about camping and backpacking and hiking." And I was just fortunate that uh, the the editor there said, "Hey, we know this guy who just quit and <laughs> is looking for looking for new jobs and looking for new uh, new opportunities." So they steered them to me, and that's how it came to me back ten years ago to do that first edition. That's that's right. Nice. Now that's right. What, do you have a website for our listeners to be able to come in and check out any of your stuff? Or um, I know it's a little bit longer one here that the DK dot com is that your book publisher? Yeah, I mean, the book is available, you know, here in Salt Lake at the King's English Bookshop here in Salt Lake at 15th and 15th and, and all over other bookshops. We're online at Amazon and other publishers. I used to work at an independent bookstore back in 
Hudson, Ohio, where I grew up. So I always love independent bookshops and love pitching those as a place to get your book and support uh, local independent bookstores. But uh, I do have a website as well. It's jasonstevenson.net. Um, Stevenson with a V, jasonstevenson.net. So there I have access to the book as well as uh, a bunch of the other articles I've written, including those survival interviews that I did with folks um, when I was at Backpacker Magazine of people who ended up you know, lost for four days in the wilderness of Maine um, and ended up uh, luckily just being picked up by a passing helicopter. So, you know, just really interesting stories about how people managed to get themselves out of terrible predicaments in the woods. So crazy. Wow. So crazy. Yeah. Chrissy has a final question she asks everybody here. So I'm going to let I her do. ask this and question. Or do you have some other questions? Well, so here's you? the thing. I feel bad because I know oh. we're kind of hitting near no, time. No, no, but no. no I had bad. these random questions that popped in my head while you were talking. And normal Chrissy cuts people off and says stupid things that don't make sense. And then everyone's confused and then they keep going. But I wrote down notes this time. Thank you, Chris, my life coach. Okay. And well, husband. yeah, if you want to okay. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. So I was going to ask you, have you heard of the, the app Randonaut? It's, it's a new app. Yeah. There's it's a whole movement. Teens are downloading it and it's uh, it tells you to go places. And so they're kind of wandering and trying to find random places geographically located. Hmm. And I was wondering if if that ever uh, kind of interferes with with all the hiking and stuff. But I, I was just curious if you've heard of the app and if you've run into people. I have not, but I've heard of similar things. In fact, when I was an editor at Backpacker, I wrote a story about people who were looking for confluences. So they would actually look for where latitude and longitude lines crossed, like the 44th parallel and the you know 112th meridian would cross. And they would hike and go and find that exact spot and then take a picture. Um, and you know, there's these grids that crisscross the world. And they would go and they would try to get all the grid points um, within their area. And sometimes they could be in the middle of this ravine or in the middle of a lake or whatever. And they would go and and just to, to kind of do that, they would uh, follow these GPS coordinates and do it. So whatever gets you outside, whether it's, uh, you know, a random location or you're trying to find an exact latitude and longitude point. Or I have another friend whose goal was to visit the center of every county in the country, um, which I think he did. It's an actual subpopulation of folks out there that they like to visit all the counties in the country. Whatever gets you outside and, you know, puts miles on your car and, and uh, you know, the, the wind beneath your sails, hey, go for it. So, it, uh, of course, I'm, on, I'm trying to sell a book to get people outside. So maybe that's a good reason why. Win-win. <laughs> Sweet. I'll ask you my real question now. Uh, so if you could leave our listeners with a piece of life advice or a motto that you live by, what would it be? Yeah, okay. And it actually goes back to a bit about what we talked about. And, and when I first got pitched with this idea of, of writing a book. I thought there's no way I can fit that in. You know, I, I've got a, a kids at home and um, a job. There's, you know, how could I find the time to do this? And what I discovered is that you can always find the time to do something that you're really passionate and interested in. So turning something down because you're like, oh, I just don't have the time. Um, you really should gut check yourself and make sure that you can't just carve it out and do it, do it in the morning, in the evening, um, and, and, and add that to you know, your sort of life list of things that you've accomplished. So never knew if I was ever going to write a book. And when I got this like, concept to do it, I was scared. I didn't know if I could find the time to do it. Um, but I'm really glad that I, I took that jump and said, you know what, I'll make it work. So I, I'd encourage other folks to do that and not, not turn really interesting opportunities down just because they think it'd be hard to fit in. Thanks again to Jason Stevenson for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If you want to find any of the links we talked about or learn more about Jason and his adventures, you can always find the links and resources we discussed at IamSaltLake.com slash 447. All right. It is weekly recommendation time, that time of the podcast where Chrissy and I, we give a recommendation, something that we want to tell you about, something we uh, we just dig on, something we discovered over the past week, our life, whatever. What's your recommendation, yeah. Chrissy? Mine's like midway quarantine edition because I really need this because of all of the hunkering down that we've been doing. I finally found Rocky Mountain Massage. Eric, he's one guy, RockyMountainMassageUT.com. He does cupping. He does like medical cupping. And I was having such bad back pain that him and him combined with Elevation Chiropractic have gotten me back on my feet yeah. during this like really intense, very stressful time. So like... I just want to give him a shout out and say, everybody go look him up and go visit him. You'll feel so much better. You were turning into a cripple. 
I was really turning into a, like no joke. I was it was like, bad. Who the heck did I marry? Well, like, the, the this one is an week old that woman. the a couple of weeks ago when I couldn't do the intro and outro, it's because I it was too painful to sit. Like I couldn't sit. It was so bad. And now your sinuses are driving you bonkers. Yeah, I just keep it's like, you know, 2020. Thanks. Thanks, 2020. So here's my weekly recommendation. Neck gator masks. I don't think I've recommended these on the podcast yet. So they're the style of mask that that, that one neck mask that I got for going to the gym, Chrissy. Yeah. These masks are great. Now, I do want a confession. I don't even think you know this one, Chrissy. I think medical masks, like there's some kind of sexy and creepy about them right no like you see yeah, no, like, I can, I there's see something that. kind of morbid about them too like right. like a traditional medical mask like yes. especially you see someone just walking around downtown with it right mm-hmm. because of everything going on i like the look of those but these neck gator masks they're great for a guy like myself with a longer beard they're great for working out and so i wear it when i go to the gym so and I can, they I can look breathe through it awesome you think they look good well, i think they look kind see, of silly i like beards but the thing is you can tell the that it's for beards. So when you're wearing it, I can tell you have a beard. Okay. I didn't know you if know? you could even tell I yeah. had a beard in it. No, it's really cool. Okay. I like it a lot. But neck gator masks, there's different brands. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I found some off brand. I found it on Amazon, which I probably shouldn't be recommending on this <laughs> podcast. I did though. Uh, local mask. I mean, I'd be curious if there's a local place that has any of these neck gator masks so we can, we can yeah. pimp that place out. That but, would be amazing. Uh, if anyone knows, let us know so we they're can great. share They're great. Them. If you're looking for a mask, if you got a longer beard, you got bigger face something it, it's not as constricting you the, can breathe a little easier the with struggle it. is real yeah. the fact that you have to wear a mask everywhere if you have a long beard it's been a it's been challenging yeah, get, for you i get that beard mask the beard hair beard, yeah the beard hair so it's all these creases <laughs> the mask, and stuff yeah, in my beard, beard and i'm just like get out of here <laughs> Well, that's it for this week. But before we go, I want to remind you that our entire back catalog of podcast episodes are always available at IamSaltLake.com. You can head on over there, check them out, and be sure to share your favorite episodes with your family and friends. Also, send us an email to hello at IamSaltLake.com if you have any recommendations or suggestions for upcoming podcast episodes. We Ooh. always love recommendations, especially right now. I know there's, uh, you know, certain people are have new uh, creative job outlets. Maybe they've had to pivot a little bit in their existing jobs, or maybe there's there's cool things people are doing, uh, especially right now with the pandemic. Send us an email, hello at IamSaltLake.com. Uh, dot com. Tell us who you're recommending. Tell maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're doing something cool. We'd love to. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, right, Chrissy? Oh, for sure. I want to hear your story, man. And it doesn't have to be pandemic related. Maybe you right, just have a right. cool. But the pandemic has forced us to all think outside the box a little. So yeah. it seems like everybody is coming up with kind of a new creative venture on the side. Yeah, you know? we want to make sure we're, we're bringing them on the podcast and yeah. spotlighting them. We we'll support everybody. Hey, you have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city if possible. Go for a walk. Get some sunshine. Get some of that vitamin D. Support local and we're going to see you next week on the next episode of i am salt lake podcast and good night grammy